Hey everybody, this is Luna Tan, and this is Dwayne Paris. You are listening to Clubotech Publishing Radio. Here we talk about what's happening in the publishing industry today, share stories and insights from publishers, and discuss how we can shape the future of publishing. It's Clubotech Publishing Radio. Welcome to the twenty-eighth episode. I'm your host, Luna Tan, and I'm Dwayne. I'm sure there are a very large number of people in our audience who are avid listeners of audiobooks and podcasts. So today we are very honored to have a recognized expert in the audio world, Michelle Cobb, on our show. Michelle Cobb began her audiobook career as assistant managing director for LA Theatre Works, then became vice president of sales and marketing for the British Broadcasting Corporation's audiobooks division. After serving on the board for over a decade, she became executive director of the Audio Publishers Association. As a consultant for PR, sales, marketing, and business development services, she works with a long list of clients and is publisher of both Audio File Magazine and MMB Media LLC. She has expanded into the world of podcasts over the past several years, and is currently executive producer of the Stories of Impact podcast and executive director of the Podcast Academy. Thank you for being with us today, Michelle. Well, thanks for having me. So, before we get into any specific questions, could you tell us more about yourself? How did you get your career started in the audio world, and get your career started and involved? Well, actually, I have a background in theater. I had studied direction of theater and done a lot of children's theater, and even did theater in Europe on an American military base. And when I moved to Los Angeles, I ran across LA Theater Works, which. Really had a hole to fill for someone who was interested in theater, but also interested in audio. And although I wasn't an audio enthusiast, I certainly had listened to a number of audio books in all the years I traveled doing theater. And so I just sort of found an affinity for it and said, "Yes, I'm going to learn a lot about that," and became the expert in audio at LA Theater Works. And and as you said, moved on to the Audiobooks division of the BBC here in the U.S. That is fantastic. It's been a very interesting career journey, and as Duane just introduced you to to the audience, I noticed you have a quite a few roles in different associations and、um, organizations, like for the、uh, the PubWest, the、uh, Audio Publishers Association, Audiobooks Publishers Association, and your consulting business. So, how do you balance your duties among the different organizations and、uh, your own business? Well, I try to compartmentalize, and I work with different teams on different businesses, so that helps. And really, I just have to stay super organized. I'm a Virgo, and if anyone knows anything about signs, then <laughs> it just means I'm organized, and I love to make lists. Mm-hmm. And my husband says my hobby is working, so、um, it's really just putting your head down, trying to focus on the task at hand, and trying to keep a good running tally of what else needs to be done, 
one day from now, one week from now, six months from now, and a year from now uh, when it comes to organizations. So I do try to think ahead, which I think probably drives all my teams nuts, but helps me put things in context and make sure that as we're going through the process of things, we're trying to create ways of working that can be better the next time. Michelle, you have this voice when I listen to you. You sound like someone that I want to continue listening to. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. So what makes a well-liked voice? Do they have certain type of characteristics? And your background in theater, does that help in, in that area? Well, it's funny because probably the one thing I have not done in audio is been an audiobook narrator. <laughs> um, I do guest on podcasts uh, fairly regularly, but as far as audiobook narration, no. As far as what makes a good voice, really to me, a lot of it has to do with expressiveness. So you can sound authoritative and you can sound you know, meek, depending on the character or the role that you're playing. Uh, and that doesn't really matter. What matters is, are you able to get the subtlety of whatever it is that you are performing or reading? So with a background in theater, especially in directing, my focus was always on, you know, how is the actor expressing the words that the playwright has put out? And that's really, to me, what has made me interested in, in audiobooks and podcasts and continuing to be involved in them is in part that performance aspect. And can someone read the subtext? Can someone bring the listener in and entice them to listen to something that they might not be interested in, in terms of subject matter? But when they hear that voice, when they hear that expressiveness, when they hear that connection to the words, they can't stop listening, regardless of what the subject is. This really sounds fantastic. I remember a couple of days ago, I was watching some videos about the uh, audiobook awards, the Audis and the podcast awards, uh, the Umbies, those uh, awards ceremonies that showed us uh, very interesting uh, clips uh, about how the narrators and the podcasters are using some daily tongue twisters to get their tongues, mouths, and lips to get the, the right place they are supposed to. So it's really interesting. I wonder whether you have some kind of professional daily training and um, that anyone could just pick up and use before they stand in front of the microphone. Well, in the theater world, we always say the phrase, the lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue, the hard palate, the soft palate. It really sort of wakes up your, your mouth as you try to say that. Um, but, you know, in general, for people who are having to present or to speak on some level, one of the things that I do recommend is that you actually get to know the words in audiobook narration, those words are put in front of you and you have to say them exactly as they are written, but you also have to sort of discover them and find them. And I think for people who are not skilled in that, the practice of saying the words and knowing them enough so that you don't have to read them exactly uh, can really help people when they're doing a presentation. I think about that a lot, actually. 
<laughs> when I watch Wonderful. people present. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. Michelle, Luna just mentioned the Audis and the Ambies Awards, and you're involved in those as we have learned. Would you tell our audience what your involvement in those awards are? And as a follow-up, what do you look for? Uh, what are some of the characteristics of an award-winning podcast or an award-winning audiobook? Sure. Well, those are two very different things. So let's start with the Podcast Academy. Um, I'm the executive director, which just means, you know, mostly I'm just trying to keep the wheels turning on the bus. Um, the Podcast Academy is an academy much like the Motion Picture Academy or the Television Arts Academy. So the judging process is done by peers. People submit, they pay a small fee and submit their podcast um, to be considered. And we have two rounds of what we call blue ribbon panelists. So that's several hundred members of the Academy volunteering a lot of time to listen to um, a category that they've been assigned. And we put a lot of time and effort into making sure that the blue ribbon panelists who are narrowing the field are diverse so that we have different perspectives coming to the judging process. So we have two rounds of blue ribbon paneling, panelists. So that happens the first round, they listen to a bunch and it narrows the pool. And the second round narrows the pool all the way to the nominees. So seven titles are nominated in each category with the exception of podcast of the year, which gets 10. And then we put all of the categories out to the entire membership of the Podcast Academy, which is over a thousand people and all of them can vote in any category uh, on what they think is the best. So it's peer awarded. It is trying to encourage excellence. So when we are asking people to judge, we are asking them to think about engagement, the production values to impact or writing or performance, depending on what the category is. So they're rating everything and it, it really sort of spits out a number for us, like here are the, the top ones and those make it to the next round and to the next round. And in the final round that we just closed recently for the uh, 2023 AMBIs, it was up to the full membership to make those decisions and to award what they felt was the best to their peers. So that's the AMBIs <laughs> um, and that's, a, you know, it's a, it's a fairly young award um, just finishing up our third year of the Academy and our third year of awards. So very exciting. And then we go to the Audis. The Audis are the audiobook awards. So again, I'm executive director of the Audio Publishers Association. That is audiobooks, original works in audio that are sold in the audiobook market. And this is a very different process. So it's the same thing where someone submits a title, pays a fee to have it included. In this case, we have judges that are librarians, booksellers, audiobook enthusiasts. So it's not from peers, but it's more from the consumer perspective. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes through multiple rounds of judging. So you have multiple people listening in each round. They narrow the pool a couple of times. And then we get down to five, sometimes six finalists if there's a tie. And then a final set of, of judges, again, you know, not people who are making these titles, but people who are listeners pick what they feel is the best. 
and those are awarded as well. And this award has been around for a lot longer, but I think in both cases, the processes are different, but have excellent results. And it's always fun to see how many people are nominated, how many narrators and authors and publishers are celebrating their nominations when it comes to the Audis and to the Ambies, all the, the podcast crew. There's so many people that work on each title that don't get recognized. So I, I just shout out mm -hmm. to them. As far as the Audis go, what are, what are we looking for? So in this case, the judges are thinking about, again, technical quality. Is the audio pristine? What is the performance like? This is an audio award and it's focused on the audiobook version. So it's very much focused on the performance. Does the narrator do a good job? Do they bring light to the author's words? And really what we find is most successful is books that are an excellent marriage of text and performance that come together. So uh, different process, but same exciting results on both ends. Yes, yes, very interesting. Michelle, when should our audience look out for these awards ceremonies? So, so the, the Ambies were broadcast uh, live from Las Vegas on March 7th, and the Audis were broadcast live from New York on March 28th. So the Ambies were very pleased to partner with Amazon Music on, on Twitch channel, and the Audis, uh, we were broadcast on the APA YouTube channel. So both awards are available and can be viewed now that things have passed. And we have previous years online at theambies.com and at audiopub.org. Excellent. Sounds really great. I just have a little follow-up question about the uh, judging process of Audis and Ambies because in uh, something you just said, um, very interesting to me that it has a different composition of the judging groups for audience and ambies. So how would the judges to uh, look at the production and the uh, role voice of the narrator so that they give the, their final decision to a piece of work, whether they should be awarded or not, would be something like a famous narrator on the cover helpful to be awarded, or it purely is purely decided on the final quality of the audio. Yes, they're not looking at the the cover art or the you know producer or the uh, publisher. What they're looking at or what they're doing is listening. So they're listening to the words and how those are performed, and that's really what comes to the top is well performed words that are well written. So they won't look at which studio you get your recording done or uh, which narrators you hire to get this piece of work, they only they only sit there and listen to the final work and give their decision. Correct, so you've already recorded the title, it already has a narrator, and you know, regardless of how they feel about that narrator for every book, they're trying to put aside what their feelings are about the narrator and focus on what the narrator or narrators, there's a lot of multi-voiced mm -hmm. and full cast productions now, uh, what those voices are doing with the words that they've been given and how are they bringing those words to light. 
Fantastic. It's really engaging. And the next question about voice and audio is: We all say that how AI technology is rising nowadays. So I would like ask you: How do you see the future of the career of narrators? Is there anything that are not changed, or is there something that already forced the industry to evolve? Then how do you interpret the current situation? Well, I know it's very nervous-making for anyone who records audiobooks to think that they might be replaced by a machine in some way. That's not my belief that people will not be listening to human-voiced audiobooks anytime soon. Right now, AI voices are not able to capture those subtleties, sarcasm, you know, the subtext, the shade of performance. But what AI does. It allows books that are not going to be published with a human voice narrator, for whatever reason, to be accessible. So my belief is that there will be a portion of the market that is done by AI narration, and that has gotten notably better over the last few years. So there is going to be a portion of the market, some books that will be done by AI. However, There's still a lot of titles that are going to continue to be done by human voice narrators, especially with publishers who have focused on human voice narration for so long. So, is the market going to change a bit? Absolutely. But my hope is what the machine narration comes in and does is helps fill in those gaps, make sure that anyone who cannot read with their eyes has access to whatever title that they want, but that m- the majority of what's happening in the audiobook market will maintain the you know the human voice narration because it's very hard to replace a human performer, and we've seen it in other industries where technology can be used to supplement, to support, to help. Various industries, but not necessarily to replace people, and I think that's the situation that we're going to be in. Although it may be very funny, I I don't think I will like to listen to Shakespeare done by AI. <laughs> exactly. In fact, I I don't think it would be very funny because you know it wouldn't、uh, it would miss everything that Shakespeare was trying to do in creating jokes and in creating performance. So. Right, I, I meant like funny as in you know just being the robotic, you know, just reading、yeah. the text. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think you just made a,、um, a fantastic point in terms of the accessibility because there are some people that read cannot read by eyes, so AI gives them another possibility to enjoy a reading another method. I think that's a a great point. And you know, there's just a lack of time, right? So I'm a parent. I have a 15-year-old. Prior to having a child, I read, you know, sometimes a book a day with my eyes. Now I don't have that kind of time. So my reading is all done with my ears, and I'm sitting at the nexus of all of these amazing books that I have access to. But Maybe there's going to be a text that wasn't done by a human narrator that is important for me to listen to for my job, or that I have an interest in on some level. And even for me, who can read with my eyes, the accessibility of that text 
that wouldn't otherwise be available is a positive. Absolutely. And there are some who also like to listen and flip the pages as well. Totally. Yes. You know, that, you know, tracking along with your eyes and your ears, whether it be as an ebook page or a physical page, that experience is great as well. Mm -hmm. So, Michelle, is there anything else that you'd like to share that we haven't asked you today? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I will say, in terms of community, you know, I work with book publishers, with audiobook publishers, with podcast publishers. These are all publishers in some way. And I would say that in all of these cases, the sense of community within those industries is quite strong. And it's really just lovely to talk to book people, to talk to podcast people, because they are so supportive of the growth that is happening in markets or the challenges that are happening in markets. So I feel very lucky on a day-to-day -day basis to be able to work with so many amazing people and to learn from them and to feel supported in what I do. Absolutely. It sounds really amazing to be able to work with a huge community. I was guessing whether you would uh, get some kind of uh, cooperative effect by working with lots of publishers in your own business and uh, publishers associations that you can use what you learn here to help some, um, some organizations there. That is really great, I think. It's true. And one of the things that I have been privileged to be a part of is the Book Industry Study Book Book Association Council. I'm not even sure if, it, if those are the right uh, words for the letters, but um, it's all of the different executive directors from book associations. And we meet on a quarterly basis. And it's been so helpful because if someone finds a new software that could be used by associations, they share that information. PubWest this year actually did its conference in conjunction with the Book Manufacturers Institute Manufacturing Mastered Conference, and we're planning for 2024 together again. So it's bringing people together in a nice way and encouraging this interactivity between different aspects of the industries, which I think has been really great. So um, I love being a part of those groups because I meet new groups and new people. And again, I can learn from everyone and take that knowledge back, but also I can collaborate on projects that help both associations. Excellent. Really exciting to get to know those exciting news. And Michelle, at the end of interview, we usually have a conventional part, which we call signature questions. So this is a part where we prepare three questions to which we would like to have your quick answers. So if you're ready, we're going to bring on the first one. Okay, bring it. So um, very simple. What's the best way for you to get relaxed? Well, having a massage always, but uh, mostly walking. I do a lot of walking and listening, and that's a great way for me to just, you know, power down. Excellent. So could you tell us two people, either that's still with us or they have since passed, that you would like to invite to dinner if given the opportunity? 
This is such a tough one because uh, very recently I listened to a number of celebrity autobiographies for the Audiophile Behind the Mic podcast. So over the holiday break, I listened to five celebrity biographies and then talked about them on the podcast. And it made me want to meet several of these celebrities. So I would have to say um, Gina Davis, I found her approach to things really, really interesting. And she talked so much about Susan Sarandon. They were in the movie Thelma and Louise together that mm -hmm. ultimately I think I have to say I would love to have dinner with Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis because I think I have a lot to learn from both of them. Excellent. Very well done. Then the last one is, could you share one of your favorite phrases or idiomatic expression in English or any other languages? Yes, I'm really torn on this because I think typically I would say keep calm and carry on. That's very important mm -hmm. when you're in association work because things happen all the time. You know, your, your MC drops out a few weeks before your hotel has a problem with the elevators during your conference. But I realized recently what I have been saying a lot is nobody dies in X. So, you know, nobody dies in audiobooks if we are one day late on delivering something and nobody dies in podcasts if we have to you know change who's presenting an award and nobody dies in books uh, if we have to you know meet virtually instead of in person wonderful dear listeners this is michelle cobb for more information about her and more exciting news in the audio world please visit the website of forte business consulting at fortebc.com, the website of Audio Publishers Association at audiopub.org, website of PubWest at pubwest.org, and the podcastacademy.com. You can find all the links in the episode notes. Thank you so much, Michelle, for the time being with us today. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Subscribe to Colopatech Publishing Radio in whatever podcasting app you listen to, or get this podcast delivered to your inbox by subscribing to Colopatech's newsletter. It's free and easy to sign up. The link is in the episode notes. Special thanks to Nello Colopatech, Marian Belling, Bjorn Berger, Angie Heinrich, Stefan Kaufer, George Logan, and Mark Wintel for making this episode possible. Leave us a message on Twitter, LinkedIn, or email us at podcast at clopatech.com. This is Clopatech Publishing Radio. I'm Dwayne Paris. I'm Luna Tan. Thank you for listening.